Well, guess what book of the Bible we're in today? And that's the last time that I'll get to say that. Because today, finally, after three years, five months, 66 sermons, we are finally finishing the book of Mark. I think it's funny that the book of Mark, whose favorite word is the word immediately, 42 times Mark says immediately. It took us three years to get through a book whose favorite word is immediately. But here we are. We are at the end, the conclusion, the grand finale of the book of Mark. And I know a lot of you are bummed. You're kind of sad about it. But the truth is, is all good things must come to an end. You ever heard that saying, all good things must come to an end? Well, it's true. Like the final season of The Office, like the quesalupa from Taco Bell, like shamrock shakes, summer vacations, and, well, common sense on social media. All good things eventually must come to an end, and here we are at the end of our study in the book of Mark called The Simple Gospel. I remember when we started this series three years ago, people thought we were crazy. We were a, a young church, and we were just getting started, and we said, I'm going to spend about three years preaching through one book of the Bible. People said, that's never going to work. Your church is never going to grow just preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Church growth experts, some of my colleagues and other pastor friends, they said that we were crazy for doing it. They said, Byron, there's no way your church is going to grow if you just preach hour-long sermons through an entire book. I mean, the common conventional wisdom today is this, that sermons should be short, about 30 minutes, that you want to do felt need topical sermons over particular current events. And series should only last about five weeks. Byron, your church is not going to grow if you do that. And you know what I said? That sounds like a dare. And because I have a problem with authority, I went ahead and did it anyway. And so we started in March of 2018. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and we were off to the races. And over these three years, God has done some amazing things here for us as a church. Like when we started the book of Mark, our church was only running about 80 people. And we only had one service. Today, we're at two services, and we have about 300 people who call Redemption Home. When we started, our children's ministry was just a few kids. Today, there's about 60 kids running around in that back room. When we first started the book of Mark, we only had two small groups. Next semester, we're going to have 20 small groups. Over 60% of our church is involved in a small group. We have more people on serve teams today than we did in attendance the day that we started Mark. That's what God is doing here in the life of the church. And when you walked in the lobby, you saw that there were 200 baptism locks on our baptism wall. We have baptized more people since starting Mark than people who were coming to our church when we started Mark. That's what Jesus loves to do. And when we started this book, we were in a bar in downtown Beaumont. That's where our church started, Crockett Street, the gig. That's where we started as a church. But God has blessed the book of Mark. God has used the book of Mark, and now we are no longer in a bar in downtown Beaumont, but if you didn't know, on Friday, I signed the paper for the contract, and we're buying this whole city block. Come on. 
And what that goes to show for me is this. For Jesus. What that goes to show me is that people are desperate for the word of God, hungry for the presence of God, and they want to experience life change through Jesus that only comes through him. Amen? And so it's been a great privilege and an honor for me to be able to preach the book of Mark, but like all good things, eventually they come to an end. And so we finally finished the book of Mark, and the last time that I'll be able to say it, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, in a sermon called Jesus Gives the Great Commission. Some of you wonder, what is the secret sauce of redemption? How is all of this possible? How do we live on mission? How do we see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus? How do we do, how do we see, how do we live the lives that we live? And it all comes down to this verse right here, the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission that makes all of this possible. People ask and say, Byron, why or how is your church such a great church? And here's what I would tell them, because we're committed to the Great Commission. If you're taking notes, write this down. A great commitment to the Great Commission is what makes us a great church. A great commitment to the Great Commission is what makes us a great church. The reason we're a great church is because you're committed to the Great Commission. The reason why you're in a small group is because you're committed to the Great Commission. The reason why you're on a serve team and you show up early and you leave late is because you're committed to the Great Commission. The reason why we meet in homes to study the Bible and to live in community is because you are committed to the Great Commission. The reason that you have that invite card in your pocket ready to go out to eat and leave a big tip and then leave that card to invite someone to come and experience the church is because you're committed to the Great Commission. And if you don't leave a big tip, don't commit to giving our card out. Amen? <laughs> the reason why we see 200 baptisms is because we are committed to the Great Commission. The reason why we're able to buy this city block is because as a church, you are committed to the Great Commission. The reason that we send out missionaries, both locally and globally, is because you're committed to the Great Commission. The reason that we gave away thousands of dollars to the Women's Center here in Beaumont is because you are committed to the Great Commission. The reason why we're committed to planting a thousand churches in the next five years with the Church Multiplication Network is because you are committed to the Great Commission. Not just us, but you, because together we are the church and we are committed to the Great Commission. And it's a great commitment to the Great Commission that makes us into a great church. And so what is the Great Commission? Well, it actually has four things we're going to see today. If you're taking notes, here's that little outline for you. We're going to look at the message of Jesus. We're going to look at the ministry of Jesus. We're going to see the miracles of Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to live on mission for Jesus. So picking up chapter 16, verse 9, the first thing we're going to see about being committed to the Great Commission is that as a church, we must be committed to the message of Jesus. Here's what happens here. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, 
He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So at this point, Jesus had been buried and resurrected. He appears to Mary Magdalene, and she has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And she went and she told those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along the country. They returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe it. That word belief, circle it, underline it, highlight it. We're going to come back to it. But they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. When you read the Bible, there is a clue to help you interpret the text. How many of you ever read the Bible and you're like, what does this mean? How do I understand what this is? Well, when you're reading the Bible and you want to understand it better, you look for certain words or phrases that repeat themselves throughout the passage. So let's just put on our Bible scholar hats and look at Mark 16 verses 9 through 16. What word or what phrase repeats itself? It's the word believe. Five times Mark uses this word believe. And so we see it whenever Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. She runs back and tells the disciples, but they do not believe it. And then with the men on the road to Emmaus, they go and they tell the disciples and they do not believe it. And then Jesus shows up and they do not believe and he rebukes them for their unbelief. And then he sends them out, go preach to all of creation. Whoever believes will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, which goes to show that the message of Jesus is that we would believe. The message of Jesus is that we would believe in who he is, what he does, how he lived, and how he conquered death, and how he still lives to the day. The message of Jesus is that you and me, we would believe. In fact, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. The entire book of Mark has all been building up to this one thing that you and me and that everybody, we would believe because belief is the key that unlocks eternal life. If you want to be forgiven, then you need to believe. If you want to be saved, then you must believe. If you want to see God working in your life, you must believe. If you want to have a reconciled relationship with God, then you must believe. If you want to be called a friend of God, then you must believe. If you want to be able to have grace and hope and mercy in your life, redemption and restoration for your soul, you must believe because it's belief that is the key that unlocks eternal life. You got to believe. So why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus do the things that he did? The message was a message of belief. 
Why did Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, humbly enter into the the human history, live in obscurity, work 30 years as a carpenter? Why did Jesus go into public ministry so that way we would believe? Why was Jesus baptized in Mark chapter 1 so that we may believe? Why did Jesus heal a woman and then an entire city in Mark chapter 2 so that way you would believe? Why did Jesus walk on water so you would believe? Why did Jesus calm the storm so you would believe? Why did Jesus heal the woman with the issue of blood? For those of you who are suffering, that you would have hope and that you would believe. Why did Jesus resurrect Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5 so that way we would believe? Why did Jesus go to the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, the Old Testament prophets and the law, coming down to pass it over to the new covenant so that way we would believe. Why did Jesus get arrested, betrayed, denied by Judas? Why was he abandoned by Peter? Why did he go into that garden and pray so that way we might believe? Why was Jesus sentenced by the religious leaders and condemned by Pontius Pilate so that way we might believe? Why did Jesus carry that cross up to Golgotha so that way we might believe? Why was Jesus hung on a cross so that way we might believe? Why was Jesus buried in a rich man's tomb so that way we might believe and why did Jesus resurrect after three days conquering Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave so that way we might believe and when he shows up to Mary, the disciples they don't believe. When he shows up to the men on the road to Emmaus, the disciples, they don't believe and then he gets along with the disciples one more time and he tells them, do you believe in me? So my question for you is, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you placed your hope and trust and faith in him? Have you repented of your sins, laid down your old life so you can have new life in him? Do you believe? Because it's belief that is the key that unlocks eternal life. This is the message of Jesus that you would believe. But tragically, for some today, they don't believe that the message of Jesus is to believe. They would say the message of Jesus is other things. Maybe the message of Jesus is that you would be nice, or that you would be kind, or that you would be generous, or maybe that you would be rich, or the message of Jesus is that you would be woke, or the message of Jesus is that you would be political, that you would be a Republican, or that you would be a Democrat, or that you would be a libertarian. Some people say the message of Jesus is that you would be good, that you would be the best version of yourself. Sometimes say the message of Jesus is that you would just believe in yourself. Some people say the message of Jesus is that you would be rich, or the message of Jesus is that you would be poor. They would say the message of Jesus is to be anything but believe in Jesus. Because we are not saved by our good works. We are not saved by our good deeds. We are not saved by who we voted for. We are not saved by what we put in our body. We are not saved by walking an old lady across the street or paying our taxes. That's not how we are saved. We are not saved by our good works or our good deeds, but rather we are saved by grace through faith, which is belief. And so we have to believe Because it's belief that is the key to unlocking eternal life. Which means the flip side must also be true. Jesus says it like this, whoever believes will be, whoever does not believe will be. 
if belief is the key that unlocks eternal life, what you believe determines the door. See, everybody lives forever somewhere. Some people will live forever in heaven. Some people will live forever in hell. But everybody lives forever. Some people will live forever with eternal life. And some people will live forever with eternal death. Some people will live forever with God's blessings. And then some people will live forever experiencing God's cursings. In the book of Mark, Jesus teaches over hell very specifically. He says it like this. It's the place where the worm never dies and the flame never ends. It's a place of eternal conscious torment with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Everybody lives forever. Belief is the key to eternal life, but what you believe determines the door that you walk through. Whoever believes will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. I remember early in our church, teaching on hell was something that made me uncomfortable because I can see in the room it makes other people uncomfortable too. And early in the church, like, I, I had this thing where I wanted people to like me. I don't have that anymore, so don't try. <laughs> my wife and my daughters like me. That's enough. But I, I wanted people to like me. And so early in the church, I was preaching, and I came to this moment. I felt the tension that I feel right now about hell. And I was like, am I going to preach this? And when I got to the place to where I was saying it, I skipped it. I didn't say it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Byron, what kind of church are you planting here? See, the message of Jesus is that we would believe. And I am not called to be God's editor. I am called as your pastor to be God's messenger. And the message is that we would believe. Whoever believes will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And forever is a long time. Belief is the key, but what you believe determines the door that you walk through. So my question for you is, do you believe? Have you put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus? Have you surrendered your life, repented of your sins? Have you trusted in him to be your Lord, your Christ, your Messiah, your King? Do you believe in Jesus? This is the message that's why Jesus starts off Mark 1 by saying, repent and believe. And he closes out Mark chapter 16 with believe. Because it's all about what we believe. Have you noticed that at Redemption, this is like the same sermon I preach every single week? You know why? Because this is the message of Jesus. Like every single week when you walk through these doors, you hear the same message over and over that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, the life you never could live. Jesus died the painful death, the death in your place, the death because of your sins. And then Jesus resurrected and he gave you a new life that you could never earn. That is the same message I preach every week. That's the message of Jesus I'm preaching right now. I'm like, I'm a band with one song. Like I'm a one hit wonder every single week. I'm just playing Stacy's mom's got it going on. Like that's all I keep doing. <laughs> Like, can you play Freebird one more time? It's like, I, I don't know any other song than the one that I'm singing. I don't know any other message than the one that I'm preaching right now. Because it's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. Totally, solely, completely, everything should be about Jesus. And if we ever find ourselves as a church no longer committed to the message of Jesus, set this thing on fire, lock the doors, because we're done. Like, we talk about different things as a church. Like, as a church, we teach about marriage. But you know what the meaning of marriage is? It's Jesus. The way that Jesus loves the church the way that a husband is to love his wife. We talk about relationships. 
But you know who is the most important relationship? Jesus. We'll talk about getting healthy, emotional health, mental health, spiritual health, physical health. But you know who the great physician is? Mark chapter 3 says it's Jesus because he's the one who makes us healthy and he's the one who makes us whole. It's all about Jesus. And so you may be wondering when we finish Mark, what are we going to talk about? We spent three years talking about Jesus. Well, we got other books of the Bible to preach. And so we're going to start a series through the book of Joshua called Living for a Legacy. And why we're doing Joshua is because God has a blessing and God has a promise for us. God has a purpose for our lives. And I want to see every single one of you accomplish that. How do you live for a legacy? How do you break generational curses? How do you live a life in such a way to where your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and generations following you with your last name will never be the same again? How do you do that? By living your life for Jesus. You leave a legacy by living for Jesus. And just to blow your mind a little bit and get you excited about Joshua, the, the name Joshua changed a little bit over time, and in the New Testament, it's pronounced Yeshua or Jesus. And you know what the name Joshua means? The one who saves. What does Jesus say here? Whoever believes will be saved. It's all about Jesus. That's the message of Jesus. And that's the message that we preach here at Redemption. So before we go any further, I would just want to offer this up to anybody. Do you believe in Jesus? Do not put off till tomorrow what you know that you're supposed to do today. When you hear the word of God, do not harden your hearts as some have done on the day of destruction, but rather come to faith, come to hope, come to believe in Jesus. It's the message of redemption, and that's the message we're committed to, to fulfill the Great Commission. The, the second thing we see is this. It, it, it's, it, it's the ministry of Jesus. So it's the message of Jesus, but at the same time, it's a commitment to the ministry of Jesus. How did Jesus do ministry? Here's what we said. And he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is Mark's version of the Great Commission. And it's uh, different than Matthew's version of the Great Commission. Like Matthew's version is the popular version. Right, Matthew's version was crowned prom king. Everybody knows Matthew's version. Mark's version's like me on prom night, disappointed. <laughs> right, nobody gives Matthew's version any love. Everybody knows Matthew, so let's just, let's just talk about Matthew's, right? Matthew's, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded of you, and lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. That's Matthew's version. We pray it over you every single week before you leave. This is Mark's version. And Mark's version is a little different because Mark is the simple gospel. He keeps it simple. He keeps it straightforward, very succinct, very precise. He says, go and preach to all of creation, and whoever believes will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's Mark's version. But Matthew and Mark's version, they, they say the same thing because it's highlighting the ministry of Jesus. What was the ministry of Jesus? What did he come to do? How did he live his life? This is what he did. He made disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. A student, a disciple is one who increasingly submits their lives under the teachings of another person. That's what a, a disciple is. It's a, it's a follower. And as a church, we must be committed to the same ministry model that Jesus spent his life doing by making disciples. Now, we're not here just to make converts. 
We're here to make disciples. We're not here just to put on a good show. We're here to make disciples. We're not here to just make people comfortable. We're here to make people into disciples. We don't just want to make decisions. We want to make disciples. See, so much of the church, we have boiled down the Christian message to bow your head, pray this prayer, raise your hand, walk an aisle, and repeat after me. But that's not what Jesus said. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said the ministry was this, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Sounds a lot different, right? Because we're not just making decisions here. Redemption Church, we're all about making disciples. And this is a great commission. The last thing that Jesus said was to go and make disciples or go preach into all of creation. But here's where I've got a little convicted. Is I've realized that as a church, we're really good at making disciples. I mean, it's the reason there's 200 baptism locks on the wall. Raise your hand if you've been baptized or met Jesus here in this church. Look around the room. Dozens of people. This is why we have 5,000 followers on Instagram, 5,000 followers on our Facebook. Woo, look, we're making disciples. It's the reason that we have, over the last two months, 50 connect cards, first-time guests saying, hey, give me some more information. I like what I saw. It wasn't too bad. I might come back next week. Because we're good at making disciples. We're good at reaching people. It's why there's 3,000 people who are in our database who have walked through these doors. 3,000 people. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Wow, we're really good at reaching people, but that's not all the Great Commission is. If that's all it was, then we're doing a great job, but that's not all the Great Commission is. I, I noticed this not too long ago is that the Great Commission actually has two parts. It's not just reach people, but it also says that we need to teach people. It's not just so that way people would be saved, but it's also that people would learn to obey because a faith that saves is a faith that obeys. It's not just that we would make disciples, but rather that we would walk with them, help them, teach them, and help them become mature. See, the Great Commission has two parts. First part is to make disciples. The second part is to mature disciples. I mean, that's exactly what we see in Mark 16. He says, he says go Preach to all of creation, and whoever believes will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. But that's actually not what it says. I skipped a part. Whoever believes and is baptized. Now, do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? No. But if you're saved, then you'll be baptized because you'll practice what you believe. Because your beliefs have an impact on your behaviors. And if your behaviors don't reflect your beliefs, you must question your beliefs. We need to teach people not just how to be saved, but also how to obey God. We need to not just get people to walk through the doors, but we need to be able to teach them how to go out into the world. And we've been so focused as a church on making disciples, we have forgot to mature people so they can grow in, ho in, in, in holiness and in faithfulness towards the Lord. So my concern for the church in America, I'll just speak specifically for the church here at Redemption, is that we have made disciples, but we have not done our part in helping mature disciples as well. I mean, if you just think about it, think about Jesus' ministry, three years in ministry, 16 chapters of Mark, first three chapters, all Jesus did was make disciples. That's it. 
It's his whole, it's his whole goal was make disciples. Three chapters. Peter, James, John, fishermen, and tax collectors, come and follow me. Three chapters, all it took. Do you know what he did for the remainder of the book of Mark? He matured them. He helped them. He corrected them. He redirected them. They had this question in Mark chapter 10 where they said, who is the greatest? And instead of going like, it was me, punk. No, that's not what Jesus did. (laughs) What they said is this. He said, the greatest of these is the servant of all. So let's just redirect you a little bit. You know what that is? That's Jesus maturing them. He only spent three chapters making disciples. He spent 13 chapters maturing the disciples. And for us here at Redemption, we've spent the first five years making disciples. And so we're going to invest the next five years or the future of the church in maturing us into disciples. Because here's what we see is that mature disciples make disciples. This is what Jesus recognized. If I could just spend three years with these men, they will change the world. If I can just get them ready, they will change the world. If I can just mature them a little bit, then they will go out and change the world. Why? Because Jesus knew that mature disciples make disciples. And the church grows because of the maturity of the people who call it home. Like, I was reading not too long ago that the LifeWay research of the Southern Baptist Convention, they put out a study, and here's what they determined. 95% of Christians will never lead one person to Jesus in their lifetime. 95% of American Christians will never lead one person to faith. 95% of people will never get the joy and the privilege to be able to fulfill the Great Commission, to see someone they know and love, believe and be baptized, to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 95% of Christians will not fulfill the Great Commission in their lifetime. You will not get to stand in the baptism waters with someone that you know their last name and you dunk them in that water with the death barrel and resurrection and they got to come up arms raised up high water splashing people taking photos you're not going to get that 95 percent of people won't you know why because they're not mature if mature disciples make disciples we're not making disciples that means we're not yet reached maturity but not us here at redemption right i mean we're not a statistic are we no no we're a gospel-centered movement. We ain't no statistic. There's a movement happening here. So every single one of you, you're going to get your one and you're going to break the trend and we're going to turn the tides of this, right? And so we want to become mature in our faith and we want to become mature as a church. I was talking to our staff and what I was telling them is I was giving an analogy and those of you who are close to me, you know that I'm really terrible at analogies. Like I make something up. I'm like, that makes sense. And they're like, you shouldn't have said that. So I was telling them the other day, like, our church is like Britney Spears. <laughs> no, not like in a conservatorship and crazy and stuff. Like, like we're, we're like Britney Spears, not a girl, but not yet a woman. You know that song? I'm not going to sing it for you. I can if you want. Not a girl. Okay, that's where we're at as a church. What, what that is is like we're, we have not yet reached maturity. Like you walk through these doors. If you're new, you look around and you think, man, this is a pretty growing big church. Like, man, it's kind of cramped in here. I hope they move in that new building pretty soon. You look on the outside and you think, oh, like, we got it, we got it all figured out. But then you come on to the inside, you're like, these guys don't know what they're doing. <laughs> well, because we have the, the body of maturity, but we don't have the character to support it. And, and that's where we've been at for the last few years as a church. 
because we haven't yet reached maturity. We're like that awkward junior high kid. How many of you parents have like junior high kids? It's all right. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> right? Because what's happening, their body is changing. Like their voice is cracking. Right? Their clothes don't fit. Trying to learn how to shave. Right? But, but they still like can't get home on time, and they watch cartoons and eat cereal in the morning. Like, there's like, a, there's like a balance between. They have the body of maturity, but they don't have the maturity that represents it. And that's where we're at as, as a church. Like, we're just in that weird, awkward stage, which means to me that it's time for us to mature. It's time for us to grow up as a church. It's time for us to move forward into the church. It's time for us to mature as a church, and I believe that when we mature as a church, the more disciples we'll make. Jesus spent three chapters. We've spent five years, but there were 16 more chapters, and by God's grace, we've got 50 more years to go as a church. And so we're going to be making, and we're going to be maturing some disciples. So if you're, if you're with me, if you're here for this, let me tell you five ways that we're going to help you mature over the next couple of years. The, the first thing is this. You're going to see a big push for small groups. I don't fall off the stage. Good night. <laughs> We're also going to pray for divine healing if I break my neck, all right? <laughs> that was like the first time I've almost ever fell off the stage before. <laughs> Y'all worry about me every week, but I'm getting fired up for some Jesus right now, all right? I love small groups. <laughs> We're going to do a big push for small groups. You know why? Because, because you can't grow into maturity in five minutes in the lobby with a donut in your hand trying to figure out where your kid's at. You're like, oh, I hope they'll be fine. We have a great kids ministry. They're all like background checked. Kid's fine with the donut in your hand. But you know what? You're not going to become fully mature and you're not going to reach your maturity five minutes in the lobby. And no matter how amazing my sermon is, because I know they're really good, <laughs> I can't disciple you in 60 minutes on a Sunday. You're going to have to be in relationship with people. And that happens in small groups. And so if you're a member of our church, big push for small groups. The expectation is that you would be in a small group. Number two, serve teams. If you're a member of the church, if you call Redemption Home, we want you to serve. You know why? Because the church is not built by the talents of a few, but the sacrifice of the many. Right? If, the, if all it relied on was our staff, then we'd all be in trouble. But it, it takes every single one of us, like a family, like a team, working and serving together to make this possible. And so we're going to be pushing serve teams. Next steps is next week. Come join a serve team. We want to plug you in, help you get connected, because we believe that there is a purpose in your life. We believe that you are not made as an accident and God has a plan, God has a purpose over you and you have a reason you're here. You're a blessing, you're a gift and we want you to use that gift. Did you know that every single one of you has a supernatural spiritual endowment of power by the Holy Spirit deposited in your heart the moment that you got saved? God gave you a gift so you could be a blessing to other people and when you don't serve, you're wasting your gift. So I don't want you to waste your gift. I want you to use your gift. And so I want to help you learn to serve. Jesus says it like this in Mark chapter 8. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his ransom as many. And so if you want to learn to be like Jesus, you got to learn to serve. And then we also see tithes and offerings. 
At the beginning of the year, we did a series called The Blessed Life, transformed our church. We had about 50 people who learned to tithe for the very first time. 10% first and best given to the Lord. Since that series, the finances of our church flipped upside down. We have more than 100% increase doubled in our giving as a church. And that's the reason we're able to hire the staff we have and buy the building we have. Come on. And I've heard testimony after testimony from the people who learned to tithe what God has done in their life. People getting new jobs, people paying off debts, people saving up for retirement. I mean, I've just seen over and over again testimonies of God's goodness because you can't outgive God. Look at what happens when you learn to put God first. God just changes and blesses your life. It's not about a blessed wallet. It's about a blessed life. That we don't just have to give, we get to give. And we don't give to get, we get to give. And when you understand that principle, it flips the entire world upside down when you learn to give. I mean, Jesus tells this story in Mark chapter 10, where the woman, she gives two pennies. And she goes and everybody's making these big offerings and they're dropping these, you know, big jars down in the temple. And this woman, she goes in with her two pennies and Jesus says, this woman gave more than everybody else did. Why is that? Because our giving is not based upon the size, but the sacrifice of the one who gives. And if you're, if you're giving and it's not sacrificial and if it's not representative of what God has for us, you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life. Like, and also, the other thing is, like, that new building that we're working towards, it's not free. Costs, right? I mean, I, I talked to the landlord who we're buying the building from, and he said, well, how much are you going to give me? I said, I'll give you a hug. <laughs> he said, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't want to hug me. I was like, I'll just come over to your house every day, and I'll just give you a hug, and that'll be exchanged. He said, nope, I need some money. And so we're going to have to pay the guy. I know, it's crazy, right? So we're really going to be pushing tithes and offerings as a church. And if you're a member and you call Redemption Home, the expectation is that you would give and you would give generously to the Lord so we can continue the ministry of Jesus here. The, the fourth thing is First Wednesday prayer nights. Like if, if you, have you ever been to First Wednesday night prayer night? They are powerful. right? Jesus says it like this. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And so as a church, we're going to pray. You know, we haven't always been a praying church here at Redemption. We used to be a church that believed that the way to grow was a Facebook ad. We used to be a, the type of church that believed the way to grow was a new logo and a cool website. We used to believe that if we just played your favorite song from KSBJ, that would be the best way for us to grow. We used to believe that more parking signs in the parking lot would make our church grow. And you know what? It did, up until about 80 people. So we said, something's not working here. We got, we got to figure some things out. And then I just discovered this, like, we don't pray. And so we just started getting together on Wednesday nights, and we just started praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And the more we pray, the more we see God move. Like, it's impossible for God to sit up in heaven and watch his church pray for years and not answer and not respond. Like, as a kid, right, you know, those of you with kids, your kids ask you like a million questions all the time. There's like, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I? Eventually, they wear you down, right? You're like, okay, fine, I'll give you whatever you want. But that's kind of how, in a sense, God is with us. Like, he looks down, he sees his kids asking, and of course, he's going to answer. 
And so we pray. Because listen, a church is only limited by the size of our prayers. Jesus said it like this in the book of Mark. He says, he says it like, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. To who? To those who believe. And so if you believe, then be here on first Wednesday nights. We're going to push it really hard. And then lastly, weekend workshops. Yesterday, we had our Freedom Conference. We had about, that's right, we had about 50 people getting healed, breaking inner vows, and overcoming rejection. And it's incredible. And we're going to start doing more things like this. And so in August, we're going to have a weekend marriage conference. On August 20th, 21st, and that's Sunday, we're having Ty and Jules Morlett, um, pastor friends of mine, authors of Wed Into War, and they're pastors in Austin, Texas. They're coming in for the weekend, and they're going to invest in marriages because we want to be able to see your marriage continue to grow. If you're single, no better time to prepare the marriage than before you're married. <laughs> and all the married people said, amen, all right? <laughs> right? So it's open for singles. It's open for married people. And for those of you who are like, it's complicated, you're welcome to, okay? You can come too. <laughs> And so we're going to be investing because Ephesians chapter 4 says that my job as your pastor is to prepare you, is to equip you so that way you can do the work of the ministry. And so if you want to do the ministry of Jesus, you need to be matured and to be equipped so you can be sent out and do what Jesus called you to do. Because mature disciples make disciples. So I'm glad for three years in Mark making disciples, but now it's time for us to move forward into maturity as disciples. That's the ministry of Jesus. Uh, the third thing we see is, is the miracles of Jesus. What happens when people are committed to the ministry? What happens when people are committed to the message of Jesus? They will see the miracles of Jesus. Look what it says. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will recover. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Byron, I knew this church had something wrong with it. Now it's the snake sermon. All right. I've been waiting for the snakes. I'll let you have the speaking in tongues part. But when the snakes, I knew the snakes were coming. Actually, I have a bag of snakes over here. I'm just kidding. I don't. I'm not allowed to use props anymore after the last time. But you're like, oh, this is that, that crazy church talking about snakes and speaking in tongues. They're like drinking poison. Next, we're going to have Kool-Aid and white Nikes. I knew it. I don't want to be a part of this church no more. I'm out of here. That's actually not what it's talking about. That word sign there, right? In the Greek, that word sign is simian, which means remarkable events yet to happen. What he says is that when we follow Jesus, remarkable events are waiting for us. It says, signs accompany those who follow him. Like the illustration Mark's giving is kind of like, 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 like signs and wonders are kind of like a dog. And you're like, come here, signs. Come here. Come on. Come on, signs. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me, signs. Because here's what happens. When we follow Jesus, signs and wonders follow us. Right? As a church, we don't follow miracles. We're not chasing miracles. No, we're following after Jesus, and the more we follow Jesus, the more signs and wonders follow after us. Like, the more you tell people about Jesus, the more Jesus is going to show off in your life. 
right? The more you show up to church on Sunday, the more God's going to show off at church on Sunday. The more you pour out, the more God begins to pour back in. Like we're a church that believes in miracles, right? We're a church that believes that the supernatural is normal in the life of a believer. We're the type of church that believes that God still moves mountains, We're the church that believes that God still parts the sea. We're the church that still believes that we can walk past through on dry land. We're the church that still believes that God can make the sun stand still. We're a church that still believes that there is healing that's available today. We're the church that still believes that the Holy Spirit enables us to speak in other languages. We're the type of church here today that believes that we are missionaries sent out by power into the world. We're the church here that believes that the best is yet to come and remarkable things are yet to happen. This is what it means to follow after Jesus is that signs and wonders, miracles should be expected. I, I love what the missionary Hudson Taylor says. Hudson Taylor says, believe God for great things and then attempt great things for God. When you believe God for great things, you'll see great things by God in your life because it's the miracles of Jesus that confirm the message of Jesus as well. And some people wonder why they don't see miracles. They wonder why they don't see signs. And I wonder why people aren't telling others about Jesus. Because if you want to see a miracle, you got to step out in faith. Like signs don't happen to people who sit on the sideline. Signs don't happen to people who don't share their faith. Instead, if you want to see God move, get up and go do something. I mean, this is how we we see the miracles, because they accompany those who believe. We don't follow after signs. No, no, we follow after Jesus, and as we follow after him, signs and wonders follow after us. Like, I'm believing for miracles. Like, I know there's some people in in this room who you need a miracle, and I'm believing for you. We have a, a man in our church who has a brain tumor. He's going in August 2nd. And I got to pray with him after service, and I said, I'm so grateful for the common grace that is medicine and doctors, but can I lay my hand on your head, and can I pray over this tumor inside your brain right now? And I laid my hands, and I just prayed over him. He said, but but what if it doesn't happen? But what if it does? I would rather live my life praying for people than blaming people. What I've discovered is the more people I pray for, the more people I see get healed. It's crazy like that. Right? Not everybody I pray for gets healed, but everybody I don't get prayed for don't. And so I'm just going to play my odds. I'm going to pray for as many people as I can. Right? We're, 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 I'm praying for miracles. I know there's people in this room right now, you need a miracle in your finances, I'm praying for you. You need a miracle in your marriage, I'm praying for you. You need a miracle at your job, I'm praying for you. You're unemployed, you need a miracle to get that job you've been praying for, I'm praying with you. I know there's miracles waiting to happen in this room because remarkable things follow those who believe. I'm praying for this new building. Like we started our Be Bold campaign, but we have not reached the Be Bold limit. <laughs> But you're giving, and I'm appreciative of that, and I know that the resources and the harvest, and there's a lot of new people who have yet to give, and so we're going to start pushing that. But I, I have a miracle in my heart right now, because in August of 2020, God dropped it in my heart. Byron, I want you to move the church. I said, God, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. August 20, so much uncertainty around COVID-19. People were worried about their house. They were worried about their families. They were worried about their health. They were worried about their loved ones. They were worried about their jobs, retirements. 
I mean, people were just really anxious and worried. And so, God, you want me to stand up on this stage in the middle of a pandemic and say, hey, guys, I know everybody's freaking out, but we're going to buy a building, so I need you guys to give. You think that's going to work? The God's like, I, I told you I want you to go ahead and start praying for this. And so we started praying, and God put a number in my heart. It was the number 500,000. So some of you are thinking, oh, is he going to tell us we've got to check for 500,000? No, not yet. <laughs> it's coming, though, because I'm praying. And so we just, we just started praying and said, okay, God, we're going to pray for this. So every night I tuck my daughters in bed, me and Ashley, and as we're tucking uh, Esther's son and Ruth Moon in bed, we tuck them in and we always pray. We pray for the church. We pray for our family. We pray for their friends. We pray for each other. And then I say, okay, baby girl, we're going to start praying for the church now, and we're going to ask God to give us $500,000. And she said, no. I was like, well, how much do you want to pray for? Thinking like, this girl's got more faith than me. She's going to be like, I don't want to pray for $500,000. I want to pray for 500 million thousand hundreds of dollars. <laughs> and I'm like, so say, how much do you want to pray for? And she said, $1. I said, what's this? The price is right? Come on. I'm like, $1, Bob? Like, that's it? That's all you got? And so I said, how about we do this? How about we just pray together, and I'll pray for 500000 and you pray for one. And so every night, we pray for 500000 and one dollars. But you know, for me, $500,000 is a lot of faith. But for Esther, $1 takes a whole lot of faith too. And so when we combine our faith together, that's when we begin to see miracles. So if you were to take your faith and your belief, and you were to apply it to their faith and their belief, and we were to all pray and believe together, how could God not answer that prayer? Because remarkable things are waiting for us at the church. Amazing things are waiting for us here at the church. Because signs and wonders follow those who follow Jesus. Because God loves to confirm the message and the ministry through the miracles of Jesus in the church. Which leads us to our final point. It's the mission of Jesus. Where is Jesus at today? What is Jesus doing today? He's not here. Where is he? Here's what Mark tells us. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up to heaven. He sat at the right hand of the God, and the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word. Here we see it again. How did God confirm the word? By the signs that accompanied it. Where is Jesus at today? He's not here. He's up in heaven. And what is Jesus doing in heaven? He is working in us. See, when Jesus was in the book of Mark, he was limited to one place at a time. He could only minister to so many people at a time. He was limited in the book of Mark. But now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to indwell inside of us, he is no longer limited. He is limitless because he lives inside of us. And how do we go out and live on mission with Jesus? How do we do the message of Jesus? How do we do the ministry of Jesus? How do we see the miracles of Jesus? How is all this possible? Look what it says in 1620. It says, he works in us. That God is still working in us. That God is still working through us. That God is still moving in us through Jesus as we live on mission with him. That he sends them out and says, go, preach to all creation, and I am with you. I am working in you. You don't go by yourself. You go with me, and I'm sending you out. It's he who works in us. It's he who works through us. That's why we still live on mission with Jesus. 
And this is the conclusion of the book that we're not done. The conclusion of the book is there's still work to be done. The conclusion of the book is if you're not dead, God's not done. That's the ending of the book. And I know some of you are kind of sad and bummed that we finished the book of Mark. It's over. It's done. I know I'm bummed too. I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I think, I think instead of Joshua, we need to preach the book of Matthew next. Okay? Because instead of calling it the simple gospel, we'll call it the complicated gospel. And instead of three years, it'll take us 11 years. We got 11 years, and I can re-preach all of my sermons again, and I don't even have to work anymore. Um, that one's not going to fly, is it? Okay. But I, I love this book. But here's, here's what I want you to know as we close. I want, you, I want you to know this, is that the end of Mark is really just the beginning of the church. Like where Mark ends is where the church begins. Because Mark chapter 16, 20, he says, go into all of creation, preach, and signs will accompany you. And then we flip over to Acts chapter 1, and then what do we see? You will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now go, and they go out. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in them. So in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. 11 men from the upper room now becomes 3,000 believers. And they all get baptized in a single day. Acts chapter 4, beaten, thrown into prison. Then the church grows to 5,000 people. So we go from 11 in Mark chapter 16 to 3,000, Acts chapter 2, 5,000, Acts chapter 4. And here we are 2,000 years later, 3.5 billion people on the planet. How is this possible? Because they were committed to the Great Commission. And when the church is committed to the Great Commission, making disciples who mature and make more disciples, that's how the church becomes a great church. And here we are today, downtown Beaumont, 2,000 years later, worshiping, serving Jesus Christ as our risen Lord, Savior, and King. The church just keeps growing. The church just keeps thriving. The church just keeps multiplying. How is it possible? Because we are committed to this Great Commission. The church is the biggest thing on the planet. There is nothing like it. There is nothing similar to it. The church has more outposts than any military. We have more people in every tribe, tongue, nation, planet. Like people are like, we need diversity. That's called the church, the most diverse organization in the world. We have more churches than McDonald's, more churches than Walmarts. It's bigger than Amazon and Target and Apple. How is this possible? Because we've been committed to the Great Commission. And for 2,000 years, the church remains. That kings and queens have lived and died, but the church of Jesus Christ, we're still here. Nations and empires have risen and fallen, but the church of Jesus Christ is still here. That fads and trends have come and gone. That religions and ideologies and philosophies have gone out of style. And yet here we are with this simple message. Do you believe in Jesus? And the, the, the church just keeps growing. How is this possible? How can this be? Because we, you, me, are committed to the Great Commission. And a great commitment to the Great Commission makes us into a great church. Committed to preaching through the book of Mark. And this is the end of Mark, but really, redemption, this is the beginning of what God wants to do in our church. Because where Mark ends, that's where the church begins. And so we spent three years studying Mark, and we've just been getting ready. We've just been getting prepared. God's just been making us, and now it's time for us to become mature, and we're moving forward.
And we're going to see miracles as we continue the ministry, the message, and the mission of Jesus. So where Mark ends, that's where we begin.